Welcome to Funding Quest, where our quest is to help you find the best funding for your business. I'm your host, Byron Allen, and today we have the honor of having Jack Hilton as our guest. Jack has been in private lending since 1980, and he has been the chairman of two different community banks. So Jack has a unique set of experiences that we will be able to draw from today that uh, help us understand the three best sources for small business funding. We're excited to have with us today Jack Hilton. He is the founder and president and CEO of Hilton Financial Corporation as well as the chairman of Metro Phoenix Bank. And, and we'll go through a, a little bit of his background here shortly, but we're excited to have Jack Hilton here with us today. Uh, he comes very uniquely qualified. Jack has been doing private lending since 1980. Right. Correct? Correct. So 40 years of private lending. You've been the chairman of two different community banks. Two different banks. And for, for almost that long, been right. involved in the banking, community banking, which is I specifically geared to small business, right. our, our audience, and you were a broker-dealer yes. as well. So, and, and what's fascinating is those are the three primary sources of capital for funding for small businesses. That's correct, yes. And, and so Jack's the perfectly well-qualified guest to talk to us today about those three sources and, right. and what their different benefits are for a small business and and things to consider. And Jack has recently authored a book called Be the Bank, When the Bank Says No or Moves Too Slow, You Are the Bank. You are the bank, yes. <laughs> I love that, yeah. I love that. And uh, so we're gonna talk about that as well, okay. about how the small business owner can be the bank. That's, that's right. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you for joining us, Jack. Well, thank you. So go ahead, let, let's talk about those three different funding sources for small businesses. Okay, well, first of all, if you're not using a, a community bank, it's something that you might want to consider. You know, there's the big banks, uh, they're a great place to park money, but they give you very little other benefits. In a community bank, they, uh, they actually want your, your deposits. Um, <laughs> they pay you a little more in, in interest, uh, and, and they want your relationship. As a business owner, uh, you know, they, they want your, your loans when you, when you have a loan need. Um, and there's various different types of loans that community banks can give to you as a small business owner. Uh, and they, they, as I mentioned, they do pay more for the deposit. So, and when you compare a community bank to Chase or Wells or any of the big banks, yes, they're gonna pay you a little more on the deposits. They're gonna charge you a little more on the loans as well. Uh, and, and that's kind of the, the nature of, of the beast. But in a community bank, they want your relationship and they do want to lend you money. And why do people go to community banks? It's, it's to get funding that, that the big banks really don't want to do. Big banks like to do $100 billion loans, I mean, the big loans, you know. It's easy for them, um, the big balance loans, whereas uh, community banks are, are happy, a typical community bank would be tickled with a loan 500,000 to 5 million. A little larger community bank may go up to 20 million. So uh, these, are, these are loans, as you mentioned, that, that are building small business, which 
you know, it's the backbone of America's small businesses. And uh, so Community Bank is a, a good way to uh, get capital uh, through various loans like SBA loans. Uh, you've probably heard about SBA loans already. Uh, they have a, a need in the community. Um, but there's uh, several other loans, uh, just portfolio loans. Banks uh, lend money and they keep them in their portfolio. Uh, for your business, for your real estate, uh, they offer uh, all kinds of um, cash management services that you can also take advantage of. Most everything you can do, you can do right from your desk, from your computer. Uh, as a chairman of a bank, uh, as, a, as a customer of the bank, uh, the only time I go to the bank is to pick up cashier's checks because uh, everything else, all your wires are all online. And uh, they really have uh, the same things that you would get. I know you're thinking, well, wait a minute, I'm at Chase and you know I, I like their, uh, their software and uh, community banks have the same thing. There are huge companies like Fiserv and Jack Henry that, that have the same uh, type of operating systems and programs available for their customers to use uh, as Chase or, or Wells Fargo. So, and they've made a business out of that. So, And so the community banks will license that so yeah. they can offer the same features. Correct, yes. Yeah. So you can do your deposit by taking a picture just like you can at Chase. Uh, in your business, they can give you a remote capture machine. You can just run all your checks through there and, and make your deposits. Um, like I say, unless, unless you're in a large cash business, there's really no reason to go to the bank other than cashier's checks. And even in a large cash business, uh, they can arrange for a company to come pick up that cash for you so you don't have to drive across town. Mm -hmm. And what you'll find in a community bank, there's not one on every corner. Most community banks, many community banks may just have one branch. Mm -hmm. um, and they really, branching isn't needed in the community banking world like it is on a larger b bank like Chase. They want one on every corner because of, of this technology that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't need to go to the bank, so they don't need to invest in the brick and mortar. Uh, you know, there's there's other things like technology that is a better investment for a community bank. So, And, and as far as like the funding options that community banks provide small businesses, they have a greater appetite for smaller loans, mm, yes. right? And probably more flexibility because they want that relationship. And as right. long as you're going to give them your deposits and your, your banking relationship, they'll be more motivated to work with you and giving you the loan, right? Absolutely. And we'll talk about other type of lending, but um, community banks aren't as rigid on certain qualifying factors as some of the big banks. Uh, uh, I mean, all banks look at FICO scores. But community banks would be more apt to make an exception and listen to the story. Even myself, uh, at the beginning of the downturn, 2008, my FICO score was dropping. I had a million dollars in Bank of America, and they wanted to talk to me about my $5,000 uh, ready reserve or overdraft you know, you know, credit line. Uh, and I, I said, are you kidding me? So I just moved all my bank. And I was only banking there because it was on the corner right by my office. And so we had most of our money at the community banks. But I, I, I had that uh, account at Bank of America. And so I just wound up closing it out, and I never missed it. Uh -huh. Not a beat. <laughs> I mean, it was nice for the girls to run down there and make a deposit. That's, That's right. 
before right. remote captures were so popular. Right. So. so let's talk about then the next source that you've been involved in and, and provided for small businesses is broker-dealer private placement right. investments. Talk about that. Yeah. Private placement uh, is a great way to uh, obtain equity for a project or a business. Broker-dealers will, will help you uh, set up uh, your organization. Maybe you're going to set up an LLC or a partnership. And, but you need equity so that you can go borrow money. Lenders always want to see a percentage of the um, cost of a project from a borrower's own sources. And one of those sources would be funds raised by a broker-dealer through a private placement. I have a, a friend that does many storages. Uh, he doesn't want to do recourse loans. He wants to do non-recourse loans. With non-recourse loans, you need to have a higher uh, capital contribution into the project percentage of the cost. Uh, and that may be 35 to 50 percent, depending on the institution that's lending the money and their, and their criteria for um, non-recourse lending. And so he'll set up a new partnership for each project and then uh, the broker-dealers will help raise those funds uh, for the uh, capital contribution to the project. The lenders are happy with it because they're only lending, uh, you know, 50% or 55%, whatever it is. Uh, and so when you raise funds through a broker-dealer, uh, you're going to give those investors uh, a percentage of a return. Usually there's a, a priority return or a preferred return that's a set amount, and let's just say for the sake of art, it might be 6 or 7%. And so it's similar to, well, maybe, uh, heck, that's the cost of borrowing money. Now the interest rates are going up, but that's uh, something that you're going to give them. And then you're going to share more of the profit as you make more. So they're going to get that even if you get nothing. You as the promoter get nothing. They're going to get that priority return or the preferred return. And there's very little difference between the two terms. And then you're going to share additional profit with them. So that's a great way to um, raise capital. And private broker-dealers, uh, not all broker-dealers do private placements, but there are broker-dealers that specialize in private placements. And so when you're ready to raise funds, that's, that's what you want to approach as one that specializes in private placements. Excellent. Yeah. And then the third way is private lending. Private lending, uh, which, which I've been doing since 1980, as, as Byron mentioned. Private lending is uh, more expensive. Uh, typically, they lend less of, of uh, loan-to-value than a bank will. As you know, on, on some real estate loans, especially home loans, right, the, heck, the banks may be lending 100%, you know, USDA, VA, FHA with the 3% down, conventional with 5% down. So uh, private lenders usually lend less uh, of the loan-to-value based on appraisal. The loan-to-cost varies. It may be 80%, it may be 90% loan-to-cost. So they look at both the uh, loan-to-cost and uh, loan-to-value on the completed value or the after-repair value if you're fixing up a property. So. Uh, that's what a private lender does. Uh, uh, the neat thing about private lending is that we get to help borrowers finance projects that maybe would not make it through the bank. And there's all kinds of reasons why uh, a loan is not bankable. Uh, 
That could be timeliness in the closing. Banks are not extremely fast. And even some small community banks, and we used to pride ourselves at Metro Phoenix Bank of being fairly fast for a community bank. But you're still probably looking, uh, you know, three to six weeks. Sometimes uh, an investor will have an opportunity buying it through a trustee sale or a wholesaler. And trustee sales five o'clock the next business day. Wholesalers usually will only give you 10 days to close if you're buying a property from a wholesaler. Uh, so private money comes in from timeliness of closing. It also may be uh, the borrower's FICO score. They Maybe they went through a, a divorce or a partnership breakup a dispute and their FICO score was affected. Now they, they're not gonna be able to borrow money from the bank. Also, um, uh, income, uh, private money uh, does not do um, debt to income ratios. Some private money lenders don't even ask for tax returns. We just wanna make sure you're filing, so we just ask for the first two pages to document that you are filing. We don't want the uh, IRS to be a problem be behind our loan. So we at least want to do that amount of due diligence. But we don't ratio our borrowers. Uh, so if you're going to a bank and even a community bank, their racial, their racial may be higher than Chase, but they're still going to go through that process. Uh, they'll actually, if you have several businesses, they'll do a global cash flow. If you have three or four businesses, they're going to take all your income and expenses from all those businesses and see how you do as a whole. We don't do any of that. So um, we do pull a credit report. We're not a FICO lender. Um, it does pull our OFAC and FinCEN uh, reports. Uh, and uh, while we don't require a, uh, a FICO score, as most uh, traditional lenders do, when we report to HUMDA, which is a government required reporting for any occupiable dwelling loan, uh, we do have to put a FICO score down. So we may not care, but the government does care mm. that we put a score in there. Uh, the FinCEN and OFAC is just the bad boy list uh, that uh, the government requires us as lenders to check before we lend you money for money laundering purposes. So mm -hmm. make sure you're a, a, not a, at least not a bad person. Right. So. <laughs> Excellent. So, Jack, you've been the chairman of two banks. Right. You founded one of those. Yes. And I think that would be really interesting for some of our listeners or audience to understand a little bit more about community banks. Why are they created? How right. are they different? What's, what's, what's unique about that? Right. You know, and, and it's kind of the similar story in most communities. Um, you know, you have a community. They have the big banks. They're not happy with the big banks. Uh, we need a bank in our community, a community bank that's for our community. And so a lot of times, uh, as in Rocky Mountain Bank's case, uh, there were doctors, dentists, farmers, dairymen, uh, they just local business people uh, got together and said, well, we need a bank. And so let's, let's form a bank. And that's exactly what they did. They, they formed a bank. Uh, they went through, uh, they, the government calls it de novo, process, got it approved, opened it, and and they serve their community, which is a, a great thing. Um, and that's why the banks get opened. And then, you know, the, the business members in the community, 
you know, now have an option other than going to Chase. And a lot of the big banks, they don't want to lend these little loans. They may have a program, and a lot of it's online where, you know, you go in, you fill everything, and maybe it's a $50,000 program or a $100,000 program. But, but to underwrite some of these smaller loans, uh, it's just not cost effective for a big bank. Mm -hmm. So community banks, you'll find doing the smaller loans and and uh, you know just wanting that full relationship with with a borrower and a client. Excellent, so. excellent. Okay. So as far as the private lending portion, there's really two sides to that, aren't there? There's yeah. the the borrower side, the small business owner who's borrowing. Yes. And then there's the flip side of it is the investor in that loan. And, right. and, uh, and oftentimes that can be a business owner who's accumulated funds and is looking to invest, right? right. Correct. Correct. Let's talk that, about those two. And that's, uh, we'll talk about the borrower first. Uh, we, we mentioned uh, private money uh, is, is an opportunity for projects to be financed that wouldn't get financed. Uh, banks typically don't like a house that's boarded up. I love boarded up houses. When you walk into a, a foreclosure house or a, a, for, uh, a bank foreclosure, or a lot of times you'll see holes kicked in the wall, the appliances stolen. I mean, uh, when a retail buyer goes into that type of an environment, they look at that and it's overwhelming to them, but not to a person who fixes up property for a living, fix and flippers, if you want to call them that. And for us as a lender, we, drywall's cheap. You know, you can put new appliances in, new cabinets, countertops. Most homes that are, are being bought are, are getting upgraded for the countertops and the flooring because this is new. Granite, you know, quartz, whatever, the new style tile, the new updated carpeting. So that's something that uh, a private money loan is geared toward. Banks don't want to see the property until it's finished. and. If it's a fix and flip, they'll never want to see the property because they don't want to finance a property that's being sold. If they're going to use it as a rental, then a private money loan works well. On a fix and flip loan, we usually do a one-year loan. Usually the borrower can fix it and flip it in that one-year period of time. A lot of companies only do six months, uh, and then they charge you more money for that extension. Uh, but we give them a year uh, it just makes sense for us. It's less paperwork for us. And on a year loan, we do not impound for taxes and insurance. That's the only difference in cost between a year loan and, a say, a three-year loan that we're going to put on a property that's going to be used as an investment property. And three years gives them plenty of time to get what bankers like to call seasoning. So you've rented, you fixed it up, you've rented it out, You've reported it on your tax returns, whether it's on, on your LLC or your personal tax return. The banker can see that you reported your income and expenses and depreciation on that property on your tax return. That's called seasoning, uh, and bankers like to see that. So we do a three-year loan. For the person that can qualify to refinance the loan at the bank, three years is plenty of time for the seasoning. Uh, you could probably do it with two but we give them three, no question there's enough time to do that. The other reason we would do a three-year loan is that the person that cannot now or never will qualify for a bank loan, and that's okay. I have borrowers that I've been lending money to for, for over 25 years. And you say, well, why would somebody do that? Uh, it's convenient. Um, they don't want to keep their books in, in a fashion that 
that uh, banks would expect, you know, books to be in. So those type of individuals, it gives them plenty of time to put the tenant in and then get to a capital gain income as opposed to ordinary income. So that's the, another reason that we do a, a longer three-year term. And you mentioned also that uh, one of the benefits is timing, right? And so for even borrowers who are purchasing perhaps some real estate for their business, not right. just uh, maybe investment property, but um, a lot of times you've got close of escrow dates that right. that uh, the, the seller needs it to close at a certain time and they need a, a bridge loan. Or, or like you said, maybe the property doesn't qualify for that bank loan yet and they're going to have to do some repairs before they can or get some seasoning or right. get the occupancy up if it's, if it's going to be a rental property, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. we do that with with uh, business properties too, if if you're acquiring a property to run your business out of, same system. So, uh, and it's it's a, a situation where you buy the property. That's that's a cost. So we look at we look at loan to cost. We look at loan to value. Also, uh, on our loan, it, we we can uh, in, include as cost repairs. So you would give us a budget. You know, electrical, plumbing you know, roof, cabinets, all the, whatever the line items, you break them into line items, you give that to us. We're going to give that along with a description of material to the appraiser. The appraiser is going to appraise it as it's complete. Everybody else calls it after repair value, but appraisers have their own language, so it's as complete. Uh, And then we will lend up to a loan to value on that appraised value. So we may lend, uh, say, on a single family home that's being built or fixed and flipped, we may lend 69%. We may go up as high as 90% of cost. It's kind of hard to get 90% of cost all the time, but um, you know, depending on what you're into the lot for, what you're into your construction for, on a fix and flip, what, what you pay for the property, the less you pay for the property, the easier it is to get to you know, a 10 or 15 or 20% down payment mm-hmm. based on cost. Uh, and then you're always gonna look at that end value. And then flipping the coin over to the other side, from the investor's side of private loans, if a small business owner is is considering investing in private loans, what what should they be considering? Well, first of all, two things on that. Uh, On the the borrower side, it's just satisfying to drive around, see properties. Oh, I finance. Oh, oh, I finance this subdivision. Oh, I finance this, this building, this office building, this apartment building. Uh, and and uh, we're helping all these borrowers, these small business people, uh, get their projects funded and completed and sold or, or leased. So, so that's satisfying. Now, on the on the mortgage investor side, we have mortgage investors that have been with us for 35, 40 years. It's crazy. Um, a lot of times, when when uh, our investors pass away, sad. A lot of times their kids don't stay with it. Sometimes they do. As you know, most kids just want the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. I do have multi-generational investors that uh, their parents invested, now they're investing, and now they're getting their kids involved in investing in mortgages. So one of the biggest satisfactions uh, on, the, on the mortgage investor side is seeing somebody go from almost poverty level in the recent interest rate environment uh, before the Fed started raising the interest rates. 
I, I mean, they were getting nothing for one-year CDs. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they'd be lucky to get half a percent on, on a CD. And, uh, you know, even with two, three million dollars in funds and CDs, you know, they're at poverty level on income. So they don't really want to spend their principal. So they're really frugal when they're earning almost nothing. So it's nice to see them go from earning almost nothing to earning 7 to 10% interest. And, and now they're going on cruises two or three times a year and send us postcards. And so that's always nice. Uh, you're, you're, you're increasing somebody's quality of life by uh, them becoming the bank. And we'll talk more about that later. Excellent, excellent. So as uh, people or business owners or whomever is considering investing in private mortgages, what are some of the risks they should be considering? Right, and there are risks in in any investment. Um, We we like to think that we're good at mitigating those risks. Uh, As an example, on an approved property, we would have fire insurance. On every loan, we're going to get title insurance to uh, make sure that the loan is title insured into uh, a first lien position. Uh, that's important. Um, uh, you, you know, I, I do know lenders that fund properties that trustee sells and they don't get title insurance, thinking that a trustee's deed is the cleanest title you can get, but not when a, a property goes into bankruptcy, post-trustee sale, when, when there's lawsuits against the lender, all of these kind of things. Uh, and, and I've been blessed several times to have gotten insurance and had the title company pay for all of these legal fees as we're as we're defending ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of our loans get title insurance uh, into a first lien position. Um, if the property is commercial in nature, we'll do our due diligence with a phase one. Uh, we start with a environmental questionnaire. Uh, if there's anything on that questionnaire that uh, uh, gives us any concern whatsoever, then we'd get a phase one. And of course, a phase one can turn into a phase two and a phase three. So we try to protect us uh, from that standpoint. So make sure we have good title, make sure if the property burns down or is vandalized that it's covered, uh, and then make sure there's no uh, environmental risk or things that we do as a lender to uh, mitigate uh, risk. Uh, of course, by using a mortgage broker or a mortgage banker, uh, they also uh, are familiar enough with reading title reports and exceptions to the title report, things that are going to remain of record after you close the loan. Uh, and that's important, too, especially if you're not used to um, reviewing those and, and analyzing whether or not you want to be behind uh, that exception. So that's part of why you come to a mortgage banker or mortgage broker. Most of our clients uh, just buy loans from us. Some of them buy loans from us and other mortgage companies. Some of them lend money direct themselves, um, but those individuals are are very astute and have been in this game for a very long time uh, before they would take that kind of risk. Right, so certainly starting out you want to invest through right. a professional that has yeah. a good tracker. And that would be one of the things that the investor wants to do with their due diligence. Is exactly. What's, this, what's their track record, the, exactly. the private lender? That's right. Excellent. And, and there aren't very many private lenders that have 40 years experience. That's right. <laughs> so I'm not, I like to say I'm not the oldest private money lender, but I've been one of the longest in Phoenix. So. There you go. 
<laughs> I started young. <laughs> That's so. right. I love it. My key takeaways from our interview today with Jack Hilton was that there are three primary sources of funding for small businesses. The first is community banks. Community banks can be a very valuable resource for small businesses. They're looking for that relationship, and so they're willing to be more accommodating. And really, that's the purpose of the community bank, is to be there for the community businesses. Second source is private placement investments through broker-dealers. These are where small businesses can raise equity that they need to use as the down payment on a project through offerings, private placement offerings that broker-dealers can do for them. And the third source of funding for small businesses is private money loans. And private money loans can be invested in many different ways through funds, through direct mortgage investments, and, and Jack went into many details about that. Join us next week as we continue our conversation with Jack Hilton as he explains how small business owners can be their own bank. Thank you for joining us on Funding Quest, and we wish you the best in your quest for the right funding for your business.